Getting a good night's sleep can be much easier said than done, but don't worry because our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to get the sleep that you deserve. CBDPM blends melatonin with other sleep-promoting ingredients with 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. And to make it even easier, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that is CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 932 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday, and the Hawks are on the board in the victory column for the first time in a little bit of time. They got, In fact, they beat the Celtics for the first time in a long time as well. They had lost seven in a row against Boston, a 122-114 to victory for Atlanta, a quality win, and we'll dive into that one momentarily. First, obviously, the news leading into the game, mostly focused on Lloyd Pierce, who's going to miss these first two games uh, in Boston after returning home to be with his wife for the birth of their second child. In fact, Nate McMillan, who's the interim head coach, opened his postgame tonight by congratulating Lloyd and his wife, Melissa, on their new baby. He said the baby's doing well and is healthy, which is great news. Congrats to Lloyd and Melissa for that. Also, Sarah Spencer reported that Pierce is expected to return to the bench on Sunday against Denver, and uh, that was, of course, a point of contention across the uh, Hawks landscape. A lot of people that are not, uh, that are not thrilled with Lloyd these days, uh, you know, celebrating this for whatever reason, and I get all that. But uh, at the end of the day, congratulations to Lloyd. And uh, Nate did a fine job this evening filling in for him and getting a win, of course. Um, as for the game itself, a pretty favorable matchup in a lot of ways for Atlanta coming in. The Celtics won a second game of a back-to-back, which is always helpful for the team that is not a second, second game of a back-to-back. Uh, it feels like this this year, most of the time, the Hawks have had the rest disadvantage a lot of the time, but not in this one. Like I said before, though, Atlanta had lost seven in a row to Boston, dating back to April of 2018. Uh, But the Celtics were without Marcus Smart, who's been out for a while now, but also Kemba Walker and Daniel Tice. So three of their better, you know, three of their probably their top seven or eight guys were out in this game. Uh, I guess even in the playing field against Atlanta, who's also, of course, so shorthanded. In fact, Boston played without a point guard for large portions of this game. They started the game without a point guard, for instance. And I know Kemba Walker's not been his best this year, but his absence is definitely helpful for the Hawks. And then Daniel Tice especially trying to deal with uh, Collins and Capella up front. Boston was very shorthanded in doing so. So a nice matchup in some ways for the Hawks. Still, they were underdogs in this game. Even uh, as Tony Snell came back, the Hawks were not quite as shorthanded in this spot. They were still missing the four guys. Actually, we'll have an update later on in the podcast on a bunch of injury stuff with regard to Chris Dunn and DeAndre Hunter, etc. But the Hawks, you know, were two-point underdogs at, at uh, tip-off, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. So... A coin flip in a lot of ways, but I would say a little bit easier matchup than you might expect on Friday, for instance, when I would expect Kemba to be back, probably, and then maybe even Tice, and then Boston be on normal rest. So this is, this is the one out of these two games that, on paper, was more favorable for the Hawks, and they took advantage of that throughout the game. So... We will dive in, as we always do. For a new listener, what we do here is talk about the game flow, kind of start to finish, and then we'll go go into some, some takeaways and some individual breakdowns, talking about every single player that contributed to the Hawks, and then we'll wrap up the podcast today with some news on the injury front. So we'll dive in here at the top. Um, a pretty level game the whole way for the Hawks. Like They, they never had a big deficit in this game, which is helpful. Um, they led for the lion's share, not the entire game. They did lo- they did uh, trail at times. In fact, they were down in the first quarter, but it was a uh, mostly favorable uh, game flow for Atlanta. 
Um, in the first quarter, there was a pretty wild, uh, entertaining Eurostep finish from Clint Capella in the first bucket of the game, which drew a reaction from Dominique Wilkins on the broadcast, which is kind of funny. Um, but honestly, it was kind of a layup line on both ends of the floor at the outset of this game. And this game on both ends was definitely an offense-first outing. Uh, this is an offense-first win for Atlanta, broadly speaking. Defensively, they were not great in this game by any means, um, but they got enough um, enough scoring to have it not matter. But it was definitely the case in the, at the outset. Neither team took a three for a while. The first seven field goals for the Hawks were all at the rim before a jumper by John Collins finally broke that broke, broke, broke that streak. The Hawks, um, you know, they lean on Collins early. Collins had nine of the first seventeen points. He was really he was very good early on in this game. And as I said before, Boston was in a tough spot against the against the Hawks front line without Tice and just even even with Tice, they would have been, they would have been in trouble against Collins and Capella playing together. But that was definitely the case without Tice in this game. Um, they went to their usual rotation for the most part. It was Gallinari coming in for Capella as the first sub, and then Tony Snell and Solomon Hill came in together uh, on the wings later on in the first quarter. They actually went to Bruno Fernando for one stint. It was the only backup center stint in this game, so Noah Kongwu in this spot. I showed a nice drive to the rim. Bruno did. Yeah, of course, he missed it, but uh, it was a pretty good explosive play from Bruno. I am on record as wanting to see a Kongwu, and uh, you know, people were asking about that. Friend of the podcast, Glenn Willis, actually pointed out, it was an interesting point that he made, I thought, that it almost seems to be tied to what they're asking that position to do. It's very sparing, uh, sparingly uh, deployed right now with whoever that whoever it is. It's mostly one stint in the first half. But basically, it's almost like they've decided, at least for now, that Bruno is better, like, in primary actions defensively, being more physical, and he's a little bit bigger. And then Okongwu is better as a help guy, so it's kind of whatever they want to have those guys do and keep them minimized. But that's just one theory, and I think it was a pretty interesting one from Glenn. But regardless, uh, a small stint from Bruno, and that was it for that. But it was Skyler Mays again at backup point guard, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. Skyler played well again in this game. Uh, he was the primary backup. It was no Brandon Goodwin in this game either. So uh, that was noteworthy, but not surprising or negative for me. They didn't play him a ton in that first stint. In fact, they brought Trey in, uh, Trey back in early <laughs> at the end of the first quarter. But um, regardless, it was it was a shaky defensive quarter for the Hawks, to be sure. They especially allowed way too much off the dribble. Boston was getting in the lane kind of at will in that opening period. The Hawks did improve from there, so credit to them for that, for getting a little bit better as the game wore on. But defensively, it was a rough first quarter with Boston shooting 50, 54% and not turning the ball over a, a ton either. But the Hawks' offense was very good throughout the game. Trey had nine, Collins had nine in the first quarter, and there was plenty even though they were down by two after 12 minutes. Um, at the outset of the second quarter, it was Capella on the floor to open along with the bench. It was a pretty big lineup, and it's not something that you would pay attention to necessarily, but if you think about it, position by position, Skylar Mays is a big point guard. He's not really a point guard. He's like more of a combo, but if he's playing the point, he's really, he's really big. Then you have Tony Snell playing the two. Tony Snell is like a legit 6'8", 6'9". You have Solomon Hill at the three, who's more of a four at this point in time. You have Gallinari, who I know is not the most fluid of foot right now, but he's a very, very big power forward, and then Capella. So that, that group was huge, and that was, um, I guess, targeted to be a little bit defensively. I will say Boston went after Gallinari, and rightly so, defensively in this game. Gallo struggled kind of mightily on both ends of the floor for most of this game, um, but that was a, a probably a good decision by Boston that was, it was kind of tough to uh, watch for Atlanta for, at, at times in this, in this contest. Still, there was some good offense with that with that bench unit, and then actually once the starters come, started coming back in, there was an awesome offensive possession that I wanted to make note of, where they had really crisp ball movement, and ended up with a Cam Reddish open three that he buried on the right side, and then shortly after that, Scott Armay's got a backcourt steal and a layup to cut the lead down to one, so that was kind of their nice their, 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 their first little push to take the lead, or at least get closer to the lead. They brought the starters back in after a timeout uh, with 6.30 to go, and the Hawks were plus five in the first stint without Trey Young on the floor. On, on the floor. That's always noteworthy. And it was 11-3 overall run, starting before Trey came out 
um, sorry, before Trey came back in and the continuing effort he came back in uh, to take the lead, and they never had, they never trailed again after that. Um, a nice drive as well by Cam Reddish, who was, by the way, very, very good in this game. Credit to Cam, who's been struggling at times this season. He was awesome tonight. Had a good contest on Jalen Brown a couple different times. He had Brown struggling. It was not just Cam shutting down Brown. Like, on some level, a guy like Jalen Brown is too good to be shut down, quote-unquote. But Cam did a lot to deter him, and that was definitely a part of why Jalen Brown struggled in this game is the way that Cam was playing defensively. There was an inexplicable... I thought pretty terrible call. Uh, the, uh, sort of a non-continuation for Trey. Um, you know, Trey has kind of gotten, I think, screwed a little bit on these non-continuations. I think it's a point of emphasis, obviously, for officials, but they're going too far now where Trey is so good at drawing fouls that he's not even getting the calls that he used to get or the calls that he absolutely should get. In terms of the obvious ones, there was one that was very obvious late in the first half they did not get. Um but Trey got by a switch and blew by it um, for a floater on the last, uh, last possession of the first half to give the Hawks a six-point lead, and the Hawks shot 60% from the floor in the first half. Like, that's going to win you most games, obviously, when you make uh, kind of everything. The Hawks definitely did, um, I would say they were intentional about, about, about attacking the rim in this game a lot. That was smart uh, against a small, small, small um, Boston front court. And then Trey finding his floater was also huge. He made at least two or three in the first half. It's a huge weapon for him. It's been a theme this entire season, honestly. When Trey has his floater, he's pretty much impossible to guard. But he's been fighting it a lot this year. It's been a weakness of his. Obviously, he's still been good this season. But um, he's not quite at his best if he's not, if, not, if he's not making that shot. And in this game, he had the floater and the jumper. And if that happens, like it's good night, basically, for the opposition. And he had, he had both in this game. The Hawks had 40 points in the paint in the first half, which is like what teams average for full games, basically. They were going right at Boston, and that was a good um, decision because, again, Boston was very small and defensively challenged in this game, and they made him feel it, um, to be sure. I will say the Hawks probably should have been up by more than six at the half, given the way they played offense, and that goes back to the defense and the shakiness there. But 15 for Trey in the the first half, 12 for Collins and Capella each, and then 11 for Reddish. A lot of positivity, and of course it rolled into the second half in a lot of ways. But before we dive into the third quarter, the fourth quarter, and takeaways and all of that stuff, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing. But there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll go to the second half here, and obviously more of the same as the Hawks get the win, uh, and they were up at the break, and they finished this game leading the entire way. Um, Trey hit a deep three in the first minute of the, of the second half to get the Hawks their largest lead of the night at nine at that point in time. They did kind of stagger a little bit from there. Um, Trey actually had back-to-back turnovers, or at least uh, he had one of the two at least. I think he might have had both. I'm uh, unclear on my notes, so my apologies on that. But he had another floater momentarily after that. The Hawks, got, the Hawks were on the bonus, though, on defense early in the third quarter, and Boston probably didn't make them take advantage of that enough. Um, that's actually a lucky break for the Hawks because they fouled too much in those early minutes of the, of the third quarter. 
And uh, I will say the fourth foul, the fourth call against the Hawks at the start of the third quarter was against Capella at the rim, and it was a horrible call. I have no idea why that was called a foul, and it was, and it was, it was probably even a challengeable play that wasn't challenged, but a, a weird one there and a bad call, obviously on uh, on Clint. Um, Trey though got to the rim and finished, put the Hawks back up by nine, forced a timeout by Boston. They did have a couple of pushes. Uh, Boston did like cutting the lead from like nine down to four, nine down to three, that kind of that kind of stuff in the second half, but never actually got over the top. Uh, there was one little mini hiccup by Young where he had he had tur- he had turnovers on back to back plays within the same possession basically, and he had six turnovers at that point in time. I think he finished with that actually the same amount as uh, as that. Yeah, he, fin- he actually finished with eight turnovers. That's a lot of turnovers for Trey Young, but he had six. Early in the third quarter, that was his one blemish in this game because he was actually really good defensively by his standards as well in this spot. But other than that, uh, a lot of positivity. In fact, um, to that defensive side, Trey had a nice play against Jalen Brown where he got caught in a switch in the post, but fought through it, ended up with a steal and a deflection on, on an entry pass. He was uh, notably better defensively in this game, just effort-wise, getting in getting in there and sticking his nose in there, making deflections, etc., the Hawks did teeter a little bit, but the bench managed to stabilize a little bit late in the third quarter, and they, they still took a, a nine-point lead into the fourth. The fact that they won the third was pretty big, I thought. Um, there was a couple of big shots, actually. The one stretch from Gallinari that was somewhat positive was that he made two shots in a row late in the third that were pretty big to keep the Hawks in that, in that favorable position. Then the one kind of scary run if you want to call it that, by the Celtics happened to start the fourth quarter. It was an 8-2 to two run, and it felt like it's fought a lot this year for the Hawks in that little stretch early in the fourth quarter. It was an 8-2, to two, again, cutting the lead down to three after a couple of contested jumpers by Peyton Pritchard and Jason Tatum. That was a groundhog day in a lot of ways for the Hawks, but they didn't allow it to snowball too badly. There was a huge shot by Trey Young um, that he hit that I think is probably indicative of why the Hawks won this game. It's obviously, I don't want to put too much on this one play, but a lot of times when the Hawks have blown leads this season, they've had a shot or two early in the fourth, midway through the fourth, that if they had made it, it would have been like a massive, like, you know, rally-killing shot. And this time, Trey made one. It was a contested, not the greatest shot in the world, honestly, in terms of, like, selection, but he he took sort of a long three was with, with a guy in his face and made it, and that ended up stabilizing things for the Hawks in a positive fashion. Um, he actually got Capella nicely on, on a layup that he missed badly, honestly. That was a, a weird one. But the Hawks actually opened one of seven from the from from the floor in the fourth quarter before, before that before that Trey Young three, and uh, that was a, a helpful shot, obviously. And then Young actually got a stop uh, with a with a deflection that he created. Then he found Capella for a dunk that he did make to put the Hawks back up by nine with six thirty to go. Um, they got a couple stops in a row. Actually, there was some Haka Capella. Um, if you're not a huge NBA fan before this, you may not know this, but. Uh, some teams go to that hacking um, intentional foul strategy against bigs that can't shoot free throws. I think it's a bad idea against Capella. He's a bad free throw shooter, to be sure, but he's not bad enough, I don't think, to justify that. Boston kind of got desperate in that spot, and they were down by as much, where there's more variance to it, so maybe that's the strategy there for Boston. They did it a couple times in a row. The first time, Capella missed both free throws, and then Boston scored, which is probably the worst-case scenario. So they did it again, but the second time, Capella made both free throws, which is helpful. You can put the Hawks back up by 10, and then they stopped doing it. And on the next possession, Trey hit a three to put, up, put them up 13, probably ended the game. Obviously, it got a little bit closer than the Hawks wanted it to get down the stretch, but that three by Young with about four and a half minutes to go to put them up by 13 was probably the moment when the game was really leaning in Atlanta's favor. Obviously, they were leading already before that, but that was the moment it became like a 95% win or higher probably. Um, out of a timeout, they actually allowed a three. A lot of back and forth, back and forth. The Hawks called the timeout with about ten, uh, three minutes to go, up 10. And it got down to six. 
It got a little bit scary at that point in time, but then Trey scored as he seemed to do every time he touched the ball, really, in the second half. He was awesome after halftime. And then Trey got a layup on the next position after that. It was goaltended to basically end it. There was a little bit of substitution stuff late that people were asking me about. Um, they had Solomon Hill playing a lot down the stretch. McMillan talked about how they liked Solomon Hill on Jason Tatum in this spot. Um, also, they had Collins at the table a couple, a couple times, and he just the stoppage never came. So I had no real issue with that whatsoever, and uh, Collins seemed to be fine with it as well after the game. But I will say this, uh, you know, Brad Stevens is pretty good at his job, I think. But it was inexplicable to me that they never tried to, like, trap Trey or do anything differently. They were playing him straight up, and it was like Trey was feasting on that throughout the second half especially. Uh, and if he's in that kind of zone, you just have no chance. If you're going to play him straight up, he's going to kill you. And it happened. Obviously, it's a good thing for the Hawks. But I was a little bit baffled as an NBA consumer that Boston never tried to change anything up. Uh, it worked out very well for Atlanta because Trey was awesome, but there you go on that. It wasn't really in doubt, I will say, but there was some bad execution for the Hawks uh, late, late, late in this game when it was probably over, but not quite over. They were up by 10, up by 7. Late, Gallinari had a couple of miscues. Collins fouled Tatum up 7 with like 20 seconds to go on a 3. That's like the one thing you don't want to do there, for instance. So it was not without mistakes at, this, at, at certain points, but the lead was fortunately comfortable enough where those mistakes that might have bitten the Hawks early in the season didn't get them because they were up by too much to actually let them get down and get beaten there. So um, as I said before, this is, this is overall an offensive win pretty clearly for Atlanta. You know, they had the one good defensive quarter in the second, which is uh, certainly worth pointing out. But on the whole, defensively, they allowed about 1.17 points per possession to the Celtics, which is not like complete disaster. But against a Boston team that was shorthanded without Kemba, for instance, Jalen Brown was pretty bad in this game. And Boston still managed to score like at a very high above average rate offensively. That's not a good sign necessarily for the Hawks. Like if you look at the shot profile in this game versus others for Atlanta, it wasn't really better for the Hawks. They just kind of made more shots and Trey was single-handedly awesome in this game, but there is some underlying stuff to be a little bit concerned about. I think the defense has been the problem the last handful of games for Atlanta in this downturn, and I'm not sure that was fixed at all in this game, honestly. They just kind of made enough shots and played great offensively to overcome that, but that's something to circle for Friday and beyond is that the Hawks are are still scuffling a little bit defensively. Uh, I mean, some of that's just Tatum being awesome, but guys like Pritchard, guys like Tristan Thompson had some easy buckets in this game they could probably uh, look to dissuade in the future. But then offensively, again, they, they scored about 1.25 points per possession, which is absolutely elite. They had a true shooting of about 60, 65%, 66% in this game. Atlanta had their season high in shooting from the field at 50, 57%. They were 44 of 77 from the floor. Uh, actually, didn't shoot great from three. They were 8 of 24. We got to the line 31 times. Uh, this is a pretty hilarious stat. The Hawks only had 19 assists. And that's crazy on 44 field goals. Like, that's not normally the recipe for good offense for Atlanta. Going back to what I was saying before about the shot profile and all that stuff. Um, if you told me before the game they had 19 assists and 44, 44 field goals, that'd be a little bit weird. But part of that's just Trey cooking on his own, which is certainly worthwhile because he's so good. And they just made a ton of shots. They shot great from the floor. Um, turnovers were not a, a huge killer, although Trey had eight on his own. They only had 15 as a team. That is a manageable number for Atlanta. And there'll be nights when they just make a bunch of shots. And I will say, credit to the Hawks on getting to the, getting to the paint all night long. Now, it cooled off in the second half because they had 40 at the half, as I said before. They only had 60 for the game, but only 60 is not really a thing. Like, that's still, like, way above average from um, any normal baseline about getting to the paint and scoring inside. So it was concentrated in the first half, to be sure. But then Trey got hot late, and that kind of overcame that with some jump shots and floaters and all that stuff. So, again, an overall offensive 
win for the Hawks. They were due for one of those, honestly. They've been, I think, playing better offensively than their numbers have indicated in recent days, and that definitely uh, flipped in this game to where they played just fine offensively, but just shot the heck out of the ball. Other than Gallinari, basically everybody else on the team shot the ball well in this game, or at least reasonably well, and uh, that's enough to get the Hawks a victory. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess we could probably leave it there for now, and we'll come back with some individual stuff in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, we'll dive into the individual player stuff before we get out of here on this fine Wednesday. A lot of positives, obviously, in a game in which the Hawks went on the road. Um, the bench was not a huge factor in a positive way, but I will say this. Credit to the Hawks. They were able to win the non-Trey Young minutes in this game, and that's not a small thing. As bad as the Hawks have been this year without Trey Young on the court, it is noteworthy anytime they come out in the positive with Trey on the bench, and that happened in this game. Um, some of that's noise, I think, with the way that some guys uh, played or didn't play a ton in this game, but still... All that matters is that they were able to weather the storm, and that's a credit to Skylar Mays, among others. So Skylar Mays played 13 minutes. He was a backup point guard. I thought he was steady. He didn't have a huge, like, explosive game statistically. Only had five points, two assists, two rebounds, but only only took one shot, made it, got to the line four times, made, made three out of four. Just a steady hand performance from Skylar Mays, who continues to play very, very well. I think he fits well with Kevin Herter, which is worth pointing out as well. Like, I think he's a better fit with what the Hawks do in some ways than Brandon Goodwin. Um, so at least trying to replicate all of that, and they seem to be leaning on that, giving him time, and as long as it's working, they're probably going to stick with that, at least until maybe Ronald comes back. So a nice, another nice night for Skylar Mays, and uh, good stuff from him. Tony Snell, uh, it was nice to have him back. I made a point on the last podcast to talk about how much they missed Tony, Tony Snell, and I think it's not like a situation where you're expecting Tony Snell to like, change the world, but having another guy out there who's 6'8", that can play defense and shoot the ball a little bit, is helpful. He actually only had two points in this game, and it was actually on a on a drive to the rim, which is kind of funny for Tony Snell. He was 0-2 from three, but defensively, just kind of plug and play, and just kind of being out there and filling a role and not taking anything off the table is credit to him. Solomon Hill, same thing, only took two shots, but McMillan, I think, rightly credited him for defense on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at different times in this game. Two points, a steal, an assist, and a rebound for Solomon. I mentioned Bruno before. He got he, only, he, played, he played four minutes, missed his only layup attempt, and had a rebound. It was uh, largely uneventful. And then Gallinari, 25 minutes. He was 3 of 13 from the floor, which is tough. I'm not going to do this every single podcast, but he's going to have to be good on offense to justify playing. And I know they have to play him. Uh, I will be the first to say that. Like, he was really good offensively last season, and then if, if it's going it's going well, um, if the shot's going in, he's an awesome offensive player. But with where he is defensively right now, it's tough to justify playing him a ton when he's 3 of 13. But they got to play him. And uh, it, he was a negative in this game. No, no question about it. He was probably the Hawks' most damaging player. 
almost want to not even say probably in terms of the uh, in terms of the numbers and the minutes and all that stuff. I don't I don't want to pile on. And as I said before, he did he did make two pretty big shots at the end of the third quarter when they were kind of wavering a little bit. That is noteworthy. But other than that, defensively it was kind of a mess. He had a couple bad turnovers as well. It was not a good night for Danilo overall. Um, the starters were quite good. They were all in the positive in terms of plus minus. Um, Reddish was awesome. We'll start there. Cam, it was a under control. It wasn't like a spectacular night for Cam. He had a couple nice plays, but it was a very, very, very good performance and one that I really appreciated in this in this game. And they really needed him to be solid, and he was. He was a game high plus 14, 13 points, seven rebounds, three assists, a steal, and a block. He was crucially good defensively on Jalen Brown. He only took eight shots, but made five out of the eight. One, two from three, hit hit one uh one nice step back jumper. Got the line for two, line for two free throws. He was under control. That's the biggest thing about Reddish is that you can sense when he's a little bit uh, out of sync. He was not out of sync in this game. He was under control. His 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 dives to the rim, his cuts were good, whether he got the ball or not. His drives to the rim were pretty effective and efficient. So I think it was a total package from Cam. If you get that from him every night, that would really really help things. And uh, you cannot overstate how important his performance was to getting this win. Uh, Kevin Herter was probably the least effective of the starters, but still was fine. Seven points on th- on seven shot attempts. Two assists, two steals, two rebounds. He just didn't have a ton of usage, but that was okay. He did his job. Actually held up on switches a couple times. I noted against uh, Tatum once, and at least I think maybe twice on Brown that I have in my notes, when he actually just kind of held up well uh, one-on-one against those guys defensively. He's not the greatest on-ball defender in the world, but he did fine in those matchups. And then the three you know star, star-level star guys for the Hawks played all very, very well in this spot. John Collins, 20 points on 6-9 from the floor, 8-8 of eight from the free throw line. He was aggressive. Probably should have played more, quite honestly, by the end of this game, but he, he did have five fouls. There was a little bit of foul trouble at times for John, but had a block, had six rebounds, two assists. Uh, defensively, it was very good. Uh, you know, w- what can you say? If, <laughs> the only thing I will say about it is he probably should have played more. That's all I got. He was really good uh, across the board. Capella was awesome. This is, again, a good matchup for him, to be sure, but he definitely took it to Tristan Thompson, and basically, I would say everybody else except Tristan Thompson was even worse. So Capella was dominant on the glass. He had 13 rebounds, 24 points, plus nine. He was quite good in this game. And then, of course, Trey Young was uh, masterful, is the word I think I used once already on this podcast, but he really was. 40 points, eight assists, three rebounds, two steals. The only blemish is the eight turnovers. That is way too many. Uh, in fact, I saw his dad <laughs> tweeted about that after the game. Uh, uh, kind of a lighthearted conversation that he shared with his son about the turnovers. Um, you know, he knows that, I'm sure. There were a couple There were a couple bad ones, but, you know, I'm not going to focus on his turnovers in this game. He was awesome. Uh, it's one of those nights where, truly, there's no way to defend him if he's got it going like that, especially if you're going to play him one-on-one. I think Boston should have done something different, but, you know, it's better if they didn't. And uh, he made a bunch of huge shots in the second half. It wasn't just uh, the numbers on their own. 20, 25 points after halftime, 16 in the fourth quarter, speaks for themselves. But he made huge play after huge play, had his jump shot and his floater and his finishing and his passing all at once. And if that happens, uh, good luck to the opposition. So, yeah, that'll do it for that. I guess the last thing that we'll touch on briefly here that I intentionally did not do so far was the coaching situation. Everyone focusing, not everyone, I will say the loud minority, uh, or maybe it's maybe a majority at this point, kind of laughing and maybe uh, trolling a little bit about the win with Nate McMillan on the bench. Uh, I thought it was funny and noteworthy that Trey Young was asked about this after the game and just said nothing changed, basically. And there's no, no difference in terms of what they're running. Uh, you know, that's the first thing that I would say, but uh, everyone thinks that I'm in the tank for Lloyd, which is fine. Um, I think they kind of did what they usually do in this game, uh, but you know, I thought I thought Nate was fine. There wasn't anything terrible. There wasn't anything like mind blowing either. It is a little bit funny that um, McMillan's re- reputation 
uh, is a pretty positive one, I will say, as a head coach. But um, he's known as a defense-first guy, to be sure. He's not known for his offensive wizardry or his like modern offense. And this game was an offense win uh, and not defense win, which is kind of funny. But uh, all smiles, honestly. Like I, I made a joke about this after the game, but there was a video of Trey and John uh, celebrating after the game. Those guys apparently hate each other, as everyone always talks about. So uh, no reason to dwell on any of that stuff. Uh, I think it's always a little it's a little bit funny right now that every single thing gets thrown back at Pierce. But uh, I, I, make, I will make the joke here that I made on Twitter. The coaching staff now improves to 1-16 on the season because <laughs> no one ever credits the, the, the coaching staff when they win uh, except for tonight. This is the first time this season that they've got credit for a win. So, you know, it is what it is. And uh, hopefully that will happen again on Friday. I mean, it seems like everybody was in a good mood following this game. And that's, uh, it's, it's when, that's when it happens when you win, especially when you beat a team that is, I'm not sure the Celtics are still a rival for the Hawks. I think Hawks fans, uh, especially longtime Hawks fans, Hate the Celtics. Uh, I grew up as a Hawks fan and hated the Celtics. I know lo- most people that are my age or older, especially, do not like the Celtics. I'm not sure if it's still a rivalry now, but anytime you beat a team that you just lost to seven times in a row and you do it on the road, and a team that you might see down the li- down the lines, it's a good win for Atlanta. So a fun night overall for the Hawks and one that the fan base certainly should savor. And then, by the way, a weird situation where they rematch. They rematch on Friday. It's very strange. And then they play again. They actually come to Atlanta next week. So three matchups in about eight days between these two teams. And we'll have plenty more on that in the future. Last thing before we get out of here on this fine evening is an injury report that the Hawks put out on Wednesday. Sort of an update of sorts on three guys. Chris Dunn, DeAndre Hunter, and Rajon Rondo. Dunn is the one that's like the most noteworthy update, I think. uh, And that he had a PRP injection to address right knee discomfort this week. As a refresher, Dunn was recovering from a knee injury when the Hawks signed him. They knew that when they gave him the two-year deal this offseason. But um, that could have been part of why he got less money than projected. I will say that. But he missed the end of last season with Chicago, all that stuff. They were aware of the knee injury. I thought it was a good deal when it happened. But maybe that was because, at least in part because of the injury. And as maybe that was why he was a little bit cheaper than I thought he might be. At any rate, that was going to delay his season regardless. Then he had an ankle injury. So that's important to know. People were saying, like, I think confused. I think Hawks fans, I think, are rightly confused because Dunn's just kind of been outside out of mind. But it's two different issues. He he had a long-term knee injury. Then he hurt his ankle. He had ankle surgery. Again, he had ankle surgery at the end of December. And that's what he's been out for for the last, you know, month and a half. Um, This time, he had a knee procedure on that knee that's bothered him the entire time. So we'll see what that is, what that all is. I'm only going off the release here, but the knee is... The knee issue is back on some level. The Hawks said in the release that he will continue his return to play rehab plan from his right ankle surgery after a two-day rest period. So that means he can get back on the court, you know, maybe not necessarily on the court, but back to working out Thursday, Friday, somewhere around there. And uh, we'll see. There's no timeline. Everybody always asks me that. If I had a timeline, I promise I, promise I would tell you. Um, I think it'll be a while just because of, you know, he's not close to playing, I don't think, at this point in time. All-Star break is, what, two and a half weeks away, something like that. So uh, we'll see when he plays again, but it might not be for a little while. And, of course, he's not played this, this season, which is unfortunate. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, sort of a status quo update, a pretty natural, normal one. He has progressed to weight-bearing lower limb strength activities from form shooting as well and ball handling. He'll be reviewed again in two weeks. The Hawks have not announced a projected timeline for Hunter at any point in time. Although, Travis Schlenk did say on the radio on February 9th that the projection was 7 to 10 weeks. So I'm going to use that as my baseline. That was a you know that was a week and a half ago almost now at this point in time. So we'd still be like 5.5 to 8.5 weeks away. That's still a long time. He missed his ninth game on Wednesday. The Hawks need him, quite obviously. 
But given the timeline, he'll be out through the All-Star break and beyond. So we will update you as anything else comes in on Hunter. And then Rondo uh, has the low back pain. He had light shooting drills on Tuesday. And the plan was to have him progress back to running on Wednesday. No timeline for his return either. He's only played in 14 games this year. Wednesday was the game that he, uh, sorry, the fifth straight game that Rondo has missed. Obviously, he is not like the huge impact that Hunter is, but the Hawks certainly uh, wanted to have him in the rotation and have banked on that. So I'm not sure how far away he is. I think it's definitely the least serious of the injuries, but he's not a young man. So we will talk about that when he comes back and uh, we'll see how close he is. And by the way, no formal update on Bogdanovich today. People were asking about that that as well. It was only the other three guys on this one. He misses his 19th consecutive game on Wednesday. His last update, though, from the Hawks officially was February 5th when he had his knee brace removed. He did speak to Sarah Spencer at the AJC last week. He talked about wanting to be potentially be back before the All-Star break, but there's no timeline available at this time with regard to the Hawks, and uh, we'd all be guessing. So I have no update on Bogdanovich other than what, uh, what he told Sarah last week. So there you go on that. And those four guys obviously have been out. Gallinari is playing, and of course he's missed 12 of the first 27 games as well. Uh, he's He's been limited as well. You know, he, he was limited when he came back, still limited physically. So my overall stance would be the Hawks are still injury-plagued in a lot of ways this season. Hunter is the big one. There's no question about that. Um, Bogdanovich is a close second, though, because honestly it's almost easy to forget that he was signed to a four-year, $72 million contract. Um, that's a big, big loss. Uh, and again, I, I refer to this sort of casually in this way, but the Hawks are missing their two best wings right now, and uh, that definitely matters. So we will update you on that, but that was the latest that came out on Wednesday afternoon, and there you have it. So, like I said before, a rematch between the Hawks and the Celtics on, on Friday in Boston. It will be Nate McMillan coaching once again. Uh, injury-wise, we will see, but I, nothing. I don't think anything popped today that um, we know of uh, with, with, with regard to the Hawks. So I'm expecting it to be a similar injury report on the Hawks side. Maybe Kemba plays for Boston. We'll see what happens there, but uh, we will talk more about that on tomorrow's podcast into Friday, and then we'll have another podcast on Friday night. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Enjoy this victory if you are a Hawks fan, and we'll see you next time.